gentlemen, I give you Ed Wiener, the historian of our prize club. Thank you, Joe. Gentlemen, it is not very often that an organization such as the Friars Club is obliged to get together like this to do a benefit for an actor. But seriously, New York has always given Humphrey Bogart a royal welcome. Here's a telegram from John Perona of El Morocco to our guest of honor. Stay out of my fucking joint. December, 1955, New York City. It's the holiday season and the U.S. is in transition. Here's a telegram from Clark Gable. Congratulations on your comeback. On December 1st in Montgomery, Alabama, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat to make room for a white passenger. She was arrested, leading to the Montgomery bus boycott. On December 5th, the American Federation of Labor and the Congress of Industrial Organizations merged to become the AFL-CIO. And on December 10th, the first Saturday morning cartoon series, The Mighty Mouse Playhouse, aired on CBS. We're at the Friars Club with luminaries like Jack Dempsey, Red Buttons, and Phil Silvers. Here's another telegram I'd like to read. The guest of honor is Humphrey Bogart. Liberace. The roast is part of a month of Bogart's 56th birthday celebrations. Here is a man beloved by all of Hollywood, a born prankster who never took himself too seriously, a tough guy, yet never so walled off he couldn't have a good time and show affection, a man who enjoyed playing into the public's perception of him as a carouser, yet he was never late for a job. But Bogart has a secret. He's dying and went on to achieve the highest honors in show business. Always a heavy smoker and social drinker, Bogart's persistent cough and difficulty eating had become too serious to ignore. In January, he'll be diagnosed with esophageal cancer. On March 1st, 1956, he'll have surgery to remove his esophagus, two lymph nodes, and a rib. He is nominated again for an Oscar for his great performance as Captain Quig in the Cane Mutiny. The surgery will be unsuccessful, and chemotherapy will follow. It'll all be too late. Humphrey Bogart will pass away at his home on January 14, 1957. This isn't a sad story, though. Bogey wouldn't want one. Instead, we'll focus on the legacy Humphrey Bogart left behind, which included Broadway, motion pictures, and tonight's topic, radio. It's a wise child, and then came the petrified forest which launched him on the road to success as a Hollywood film star. His newest picture, The Left Hand of Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode 140. My name is James Scully. 
Tonight on Breaking Walls, we examine the underappreciated radio career of the one and only Humphrey Bogart. Adored by friends and family alike, Bogie is still one of the most popular actors in history, more than 66 years after his death. If this is your first time listening to Breaking Walls, welcome to the show. You can find the series on every podcasting platform and at thewallbreakers.com. Tonight's opening song is Richard Alden's version of Manhattan Serenade. It's a fitting theme for a man who grew up in the city that never sleeps. Join the Breaking Walls Facebook group to keep in touch with news, snippets, photos, and other additions to the podcast at facebook.com slash groups slash the wallbreakers. And the first eight chapters of Burning Gotham are out everywhere you get a podcast and at burninggotham.com. It was a 2022 official Tribeca Film Festival audio selection. You can also support these shows for as little as $1 per month at patreon.com slash thewallbreakers. You know, Humphrey's been in New York making a picture. He just got back when I, we were in England. He just came back with Catherine Hepburn making African Queen down That's in right, the Congo. Yeah. And now he's in New York making another one. Part of it's being shot over at the Daily News, our paper, which gave me a kick because here, if ever I met one, is a frustrated newspaper man. He would rather have been a newspaper man when he was around. Is that true? I think that's true, Ed. <coughs> I always kind of had a hankering to be a newspaper man. I noticed that... I didn't see you come around the Daily News very much. You don't work very hard. That's why I want to be oh, a newspaper that's man. That's good. <laughs> that would really straighten me out with the whole city desk over there. Yeah, thank you. A lot of people don't realize that you are a native New Yorker. That's right. My doctor. dad was a doctor, yes. I was born in New York City, uh, bed number 21, Sloan's Maternity Hospital, I think. <laughs> and I lived up on 103rd Street and West End Avenue. Humphrey Bogart was born to Belmont Bogart and Maud Humphrey on Christmas Day, 1899 in New York City. The eldest child, his father came from a long line of Dutch New Yorkers, while his mother could trace her heritage back to the Mayflower. Belmont was a surgeon, while Maud was a commercial illustrator and suffragette. Young Humphrey was sometimes the subject of her artwork, a detail that got him teased in school. Maud earned over $50,000 per year at the peak of her career. They lived in an Upper West Side apartment and had land on the Canandaigua Lake in upstate New York. Bogart and his two younger sisters watched as their parents, both career-driven, frequently fought and rarely showed affection to them. His mother insisted they call her Maud. Bogart remembered her as straightforward and unsentimental. Bogie inherited his father's sarcastic and self-deprecating sense of humor, a fondness for the water, and an attraction to strong-willed women. He attended the prestigious Trinity School and later Phillips Academy. He dropped out of Phillips after one semester in 1918, deeply disappointing his parents. 
Meanwhile, in January of 1917, British intelligence intercepted a telegram sent from the German Foreign Office that proposed a military alliance between Germany and Mexico in the event the U.S. entered World War I against Germany. When the U.S. was defeated, Mexico would recover Texas, Arizona, and New Mexico. Called the Zimmerman Telegram, German Foreign Secretary Arthur Zimmerman publicly admitted the telegram was genuine on March 3rd. On April 6, 1917, Congress voted to declare war on Germany. Bogart enlisted in the Navy in the spring of 1918, serving as a boatswain's mate. He later recalled, At 18, war was great stuff. Paris, sexy French girls, hot damn. He left the service on June 18, 1919 with a pristine record. Bogart returned home to find his father's health and wealth doing poorly. Bogart's liberal ways also put him at odds with his family, so he joined the Coast Guard Reserve and worked as a shipper and bond salesman. Unhappy with his choices, he got a job with William A. Brady's World Films. He was stage manager for daughter Alice Brady's production of A Ruined Lady. He made his stage debut a few months later as a butler in Alice's 1921 production of Drifting. He had one line and remembered delivering it nervously. But it began a working relationship that saw Bogart appear in several of her productions. Bogart liked the hours actors kept and the attention they received. He was a man who loved the nightlife, enjoying trips to speakeasies. He later joked that he was born to be indolent and this was the softest of the rackets. The two things that I never said, I never said tennis anyone, and I never said, okay, Louie, drop the gun. Tell me, do you like the reputation of being a character bogey? Well, yes, I think it's good. I wouldn't like to be like everybody else. I don't think I go out of my way to be a character. Uh, well, then I what maybe you... I just am. I don't believe in doing things just to get publicity. I believe in doing what you feel like doing if, and uh, taking the consequences of whatever comes out of it. The man never took an acting lesson, preferring to learn on the job. He appeared in at least 18 Broadway productions between 1922 and 35, while playing juveniles or romantic supporting roles, more in comedy than anything else. Bogey, what is the worst thing that you can recall that a critic ever said about you? Well, the, uh, uh, the worst thing that a critic ever said about me was said in the first play that I appeared in, a play called Swifty, I think it was, said by Alexander Wilkett. He said the young man who embodies the aforesaid sprig was what might mercifully be described as inadequate. And Alan Dale, uh, whom you may remember, said that Mr. Bogart gave some rather trenchant examples of bad acting. A little later, Alexander Wilkett uh, became a good friend of mine. He changed his mind, thought that there might be a chance for me. A few years after that, I went to Chicago in the Cradle Snatchers, and a critic named Amy Leslie, a lady critic, uh, wrote a review in which she said that, as I remember it, uh, Mr. Bogart has the grace of a Valentino, the charm of an E.H. Southern, and the dramatic appeal and strength of a John Barrymore. So I sent this to Wilkett, and uh, Wilkett printed it in his column with the comment underneath saying that this is no more than uh, any male critic says about any ingenue who hasn't got a hair lip. <laughs> well, <laughs> Wolcott was a very good friend of mine, too, and he always would begin every comment to me by saying, Now listen, repulsive.
While playing and drifting at the Playhouse Theater in 1922, he met actress Helen Menken. They married in May 1926. They divorced 18 months later but remained friends. In April 1928, he married actress Mary Phillips. Both women cited that Bogart cared more about his career than marriage. What were some of the shows you did around here before you went to the coast? Some oh, of the big Lord. Ones. I remember Cradle Snatchers. Well, let's see, Cradle Snatchers was one, and Saturday's Children, and It's a Wise Child, The Most Tomorrow Lady, Meet the Wife. I was very lucky, Ed, you know, I had seven smash hits in a row. I was in them, rather. I didn't have very big parts. Broadway productions dropped off after the Wall Street crash of 1929. Many actors were heading for Hollywood. Bogart debuted on film with Helen Hayes in The Dancing Town. He signed a contract with the Fox Film Corporation for $750 per week. There he met Spencer Tracy. They became close friends. Tracy made his feature film debut in his only movie with Bogart, John Ford's early sound film, Up the River, from 1930. They played inmates. If it hadn't been for you... Shut up, you little swine. You were a thief long before I knew you. That's a lie! Take it back! Take it back. Cut it out! Cut it out! Go on, scram! Huh? Come on, don't take it so hard. I can't help it. How did your family feel? Well, they don't know. I changed my name. They think I'm in China. How'd you do that? Well, I got friends out there. They forward my letters home and cable my folks once a month. I'll see you around. I work in the office there. Got a lot of new fish coming in, you know. Associates, inmates. Come on, son. Fuck up, boy. Bogart next appeared opposite Betty Davis and Sidney Fox in Bad Sister. Hey, you're in a hurry, aren't you? No, I've got lots of time. For a moment, I didn't recognize you. When did you get to town? Why, uh, just yesterday. I haven't had a chance to look you up. You don't know Dr. Lindley, do you? Uh, Dr. Lindley, this is Mr., um, uh... I didn't get the name? Uh, Corliss. Oh, how do you do? Glad to meet you. Hey, you! You can't park in the middle of the street. Move on. I'm practically moving. Well, since you nearly ran me down, the least you can do is drive me home. Save you the trouble, Dick, coming all the way out to the house and then back into town again. Well, I, I don't mind a bit. Oh, but you said you were tired. Hey, you! Are you going to get going or you want me to give you a ticket? Here we go. Call me tomorrow, Dick. Good night, Lindley. See you again. Shuffling back and forth between Hollywood and New York and out of work for long periods, his father died in 1934. That year, Bogart starred in the Broadway play, Invitation to a Murder. During rehearsal, producer Arthur Hopkins heard the play from offstage and sent for Bogart, giving him the role of a lifetime. He cast Bogart as escaped murderer Duke Mantee in Robert Sherwood's The Petrified Forest. Come in. Well, so we meet again. Sit down, pal. Down there. Yeah, I, I'd be delighted. Wait a minute. 
Sit down, you. Would you mind sitting down over there, Pop? Sure. Up there, Pat. Football player, eh? Yeah, and you better not let me get close enough to take a sock at you. I used to be quite a fan. What's your school? Moby Tech. Never heard of it. Ruby. Get down by the door and keep your eyes open. You got swim watching on the outside. Get down to the door. Hey, Squire, that's Duke Mantee. Remember? I showed you his picture, remember? Yes, I remember. Join us in a glass of beer. Thanks. Would you mind if I have some of that whiskey instead? Give him a drink, sister. Jackie. Turn on that radio and back here. What'd I tell you? Look at that chin. He's a killer, all right. We're lucky we got ringside seat. He's a gangster and a rat. He ain't no gangster. He's a real old-time desperado. Gangsters is foreigners, and he's an American. Wait till the sheriff finds out he's here and we'll we see some real killing. Who'd we do? The cops ain't likely to catch up with us, not tonight. So we can all be quiet and peaceable and have a few beers together and listen to the music. And not make any wrong moves. In an unintentional nod to Bogart's radio possibilities, Arthur Hopkins later recalled, when I saw it was Bogart, I was somewhat taken back. He was one I never admired much. He was an antiquated juvenile who spent most of his stage life in white pants swinging a tennis racket. He seemed as far from a cold-blooded killer as one could get. But the voice, dry and tired, persisted. His voice was Mantee's. In 1935, the Petrified Forest ran for 197 performances at the Broadhurst Theater in New York. Although Leslie Howard was the star... The New York Times cited that Humphrey Bogart does the best work of his career. Well, wasn't that Bob Sherwood's play, Petrified Forest? Yeah. Really yeah, that started me uh, typed you as a, going with this thing. He's a rough guy. Yeah. Sent me out to the movies. Warner Brothers nabbed the screen rights. Howard, who held the production rights, made it clear he wanted Bogart to star with him. Jack Warner wanted Bogart to use a stage name, but Bogart declined, having built a reputation with his name in Broadway theater. The film version was released in 1936. Frank Nugent of the New York Times wrote that Bogart could be a psychopathic gangster more like Dillinger than the outlaw himself. The film made Bogart a star. He never forgot Howard's favor, naming his only daughter, Leslie Howard Bogart. The Petrified Forest was the last time Humphrey Bogart starred in a Broadway play. <laughs> 